Please continue standing and reach for your Bibles in front of you as we prepare to read from God's Word this morning. Again, good morning to you all, and we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Again, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. This is found in your pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the pew Bible in front of you on page 1160. Pastor Bruce is preaching this message this morning, a sermon series from the book of Ephesians. The sermon is titled, Our Identity in Christ. So follow along as I prepare to read Ephesians 2, again, 11 through 22. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off from from all have been brought back near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Please bow your heads in prayer as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we humbly thank you and we give you praise for how good you are, how powerful, just, and also, as we sang, full of abundant mercy. We come to you in humility, thanking you for life and how abundantly we can have it as we trust in our Savior, your Son, Jesus, in whom he does not offer condemnation, but offers forgiveness. And you, Father, see us as righteousness before you. We rejoice in you and ask that you teach us this morning our identity in Christ. Help us to see how Jesus makes it possible for us to be fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Speak to us this morning through the preaching of your word. Be with Pastor Bruce as he preaches your word. We ask all these things in Christ Jesus, your name. Amen. Well, this morning we are beginning a brand new series on the church that we are calling Re-Engage the Church. As most of you know, COVID not only turned our lives upside down and in ways we never imagined. In fact, in many ways, it's still turning our lives upside down. But COVID has also affected the church. It has impacted the church in ways we never imagined as well. I mean, who would have ever thought we wouldn't be able to gather as a church in person? And yet, that's exactly what took place. You might remember that because it happened over 18 months ago. And so like most churches, we we quickly began live streaming a very scaled back version of the worship service so that we could proclaim the preaching and teaching of God's word. That happened in March of 2020. Three months later, when the shutdown was lifted, we were able to begin regathering in person and Although it was in two services with, uh, with some restrictions, we were still glad. We were glad. We were thankful to be able to regather for corporate worship as a church family here at LifeBridge. And, and while not everyone in our church family chose to regather in person during uh, that summer, not the summer we're in, but a year ago, 
We're thankful for those who did regather. In fact, uh, our church, we averaged about 70% of our pre-COVID attendance throughout that summer and even now uh, for the same time year before. Since last June, we've been back now to one worship service as we are here this morning. And we look forward, at least I do, I hope you do, we look forward to uh, relaunching our Discovery Hour in September, on September the 19th. But the reality is, many people have stopped attending church during the pandemic. In fact, by some estimates, as many as one-third of churchgoers have stopped attending altogether during the pandemic. And we all know how hard it is to, to get back into the habit of something once it's been broken for more than a year. And perhaps you were one of those who didn't return to church right away. And, and that's okay, because now, as I look out, you're back. I see your faces here, and we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. So why would, should we re-engage the church? That's the question I hope to answer during this series here on the church. Why re-engage the church? After all, the world really could care less about the absence of the church during the pandemic. So why should we, as Christ followers, care about it? Why should we care about the church? Why should we be motivated, even compelled, to re-engage the church? That's the question I want to answer from God's Word. And in doing so, I really hope to encourage you to re-engage the church or to even help you discover for the first time why God wants you to make a priority of gathering with the church and committing yourself to the church. As this pandemic continues to to spike up and down, you may be wondering, well, is there even a future for the church? Is there even a future for the church? And the answer is absolutely yes. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, listen, I will build my church. And the gates of hell or the gates of Hades, whatever translation you have, shall not prevail against it. And that includes viruses like COVID-19. Now, the church that Jesus is building, it is both universal and it is local. There's this universal church that includes all believers in Jesus Christ across all of history. And then there is the local church like ours here at LifeBridge. And the local church like ours here at LifeBridge, is the visible expression of the universal body of Jesus Christ. That means that we are not consumers shopping for the best product out there. It means we're not even competitors looking to compete with other local churches. Rather, it means we are a community of Christ followers who are passionate about bridging the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. In fact, God ordained the church to carry out his plan of redemption. We know this from what is referred to as the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 that the the primary purpose, the, the main purpose of the church is to make disciples. I like how Dan Ryland put it. He said it this way, redemption has always been God's purpose, and he appointed the church to carry out that purpose. And of course, Our purpose here at LifeBridge is to make disciples, as you can see, who do four things. Who know Christ, who are growing in Christ, who are showing Christ and going with Christ. And how do we do that? By bridging the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the church, as I'm going to propose to you throughout this whole series, the church is worth more than just our casual consideration. It is worth far more than just our occasional participation. The church is worth re-engaging. As David Platt wrote, the church is not a building to see nor a place to sit. The church is a movement to join. So why re-engage the church? Here's the answer to that question. Notice it in your notes coming up on the screen. It's because our identity in Jesus Christ compels us to re-engage the church. Our identity in Christ compels us to do so. In other words, to be in Jesus Christ is to be in the church of Christ. Now, there are 
many reasons out there, and perhaps some of these reasons have floated through your mind, to disengage from the church of Jesus Christ. But God gives us one ginormous reason why we must re-engage the church. And that is our identity in Christ. Your identity in Christ, my identity in Christ, as we're going to see, it should motivate us, it should compel us to re-engage the church. This is what Paul says here at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. Here at the end, it is his conclusion. It's the essence of what he's logically drawn to a climax as he starts in verse 1 of chapter 2 and now comes to the end. Look what he writes in verse 19 again. He says, so then. In other words, it's like, based on everything I've said before, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, Ephesians 2 is one of my all-time favorite chapters in all the Bible. Ephesians 2 is a masterpiece. It begins with this ugly, ugly, ugly picture of life without Christ. But it ends with this glorious, this beautiful picture of life in Christ. And here in verses 19 through 22, Paul explains now to us the importance of engaging the church or re-engaging the church that now flows right out of our identity in Christ. In fact, to illustrate this identity for us, Paul uses three word pictures here in these verses. He uses the word picture of, of citizens of God's kingdom, members of God's household, and stones in God's temple. So let's unpack each of these word pictures for a moment here. Number one, why re-engage the church? Because, number one, we are fellow citizens of God's kingdom. Paul writes in verse 19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Now, the kingdom of God is this present but not yet rule of God on earth. And in Christ, in our union with Christ, in our salvation in Christ, we, we are fellow citizens with all the saints in God's kingdom. And Paul states this wonderful benefit of our identity in Christ with a, a stark contrast when he says, without Christ, though, you were strangers and aliens. What Paul's doing here is he's reminding us of a very key truth of our identity. Of who we once were without Jesus Christ, apart from Jesus Christ, but now who we are because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Paul says if you go to verse 1 of the same chapter, he starts out there. And he says, and you were dead in the trespasses of your sins. That's why I say this chapter begins with an ugly, ugly picture. Because that is every one of us here this morning. That is our beginning. That's what we are born into. And because of that is what we continue to choose. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. And then according to verses 2 and 3, Paul says that we used to walk in the ways of the world, and that in Satan, and we used to live in the lust of our flesh. And as a result of that, Paul says in verse 3, you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then Paul, he, he continues on he says but because of god's grace because of god's mercy god did a work in your life he intervened in your life and he now made you alive in christ hallelujah right we're no longer dead in our sins but we're alive in christ by the love and mercy and grace of god and it wasn't anything we did it's by faith by grace through faith alone in christ alone that we were saved. That's what Paul is telling us in verses 8 and 9. And then Paul addresses this group of Christians known as the Gentiles. 
these Gentile Christians in the church at Ephesus in the context here. And he writes in verses 11 and 12, look at it. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. And what he's doing there, he's contrasting the Gentiles from all the Jews. And basically, if you were non-Jewish, you are Gentile. And he's saying, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, and Paul's telling us, don't forget this truth. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. In other words, we were on the outside looking in. And because of that, we had no hope and we were without God in the world. In other words, without Christ, we were alienated from God. We were also alienated from the people of God. In fact, we were strangers and aliens in the terminology that Paul uses here. In fact, those two words are somewhat synonymous. There is a slight distinction, and if there is, strangers would refer to a foreigner, while aliens refers to the foreigner who lives in a land without any rights of citizenship, though. Both words that Paul uses here is conveying one simple truth, exclusion. You're excluded. Paul uses the term to remind us that who we once were, and that is spiritual outsiders alienated from God and his people. In fact, this is the status of all who do not believe in Jesus Christ. But in Christ, we now have a new standing before God. And we have a new relationship with one another in Christ. Paul says we're no longer strangers and aliens. That's not our identity anymore. We are now, and he uses a specific word, we are citizens. In fact, we are fellow citizens with the saints in Christ. Blow me away. That's amazing. That is phenomenal. You say, how is that even possible? I love how Paul puts it in verse 13. Look what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, it is only by the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for us that we now can be reconciled. We can be brought to God. We can be reconciled to God and his people. That's the emphasis that Paul's making here. We're just not reconciled to God the Father. We are reconciled to his people as well as fellow citizens in his kingdom. And in this kingdom, there are no second-class citizens. There is no separation between people in, in the context, especially between Jews and Gentiles. We all have equal citizenship as fellow citizens in God's kingdom. So the question becomes, well, what are the implications of this truth, of this phenomenal truth? Well, notice it. As fellow citizens of God's kingdom, we have privileges to enjoy. And I wish I could expand on all this, but we don't have the time. But you have privileges to enjoy as a fellow citizen. But we also have responsibilities to carry out. And we have relationships with one another to consider. You see, to call us citizens is to say that we have rights and we have responsibilities before God Almighty. But to say that we are fellow citizens with the saints is to say that we now have relationships with one another that also carries responsibilities. It means we need to consider this because it's not just about me anymore. It's about all of us. Pastor Isaac Walsh summarizes the implications this way when he says, and I quote, Christians are not only reconciled to God, but also to his people. God is not saving a constellation of individual Christians encapsulated from one another. He is saving a people. He's gathering a nation. And you'll never understand who you are or what you are as a Christian if you think of yourself only in individual terms. 
You'll really only understand yourself and your life as a Christian in the context of the church. That's why we re-engage the church. That's why we're compelled to do so. And so while our church is comprised of wonderful, wonderful saints in Christ, and to that we say amen, right? Look at somebody and say, you're a wonderful saint. Go ahead, Bill, tell your wife she's a wonderful saint. Zach, tell your wife that. I'm telling you, if you're a believer in Christ, you are a wonderful saint, and I am so thankful that our church here at LifeBridge is comprised of wonderful saints in Christ. But as you already know, and if you haven't learned this yet, you will, give it time, our church is also comprised of wonderful saints who still sin against God, though, and who still sin against one another, even as the Spirit is sanctifying us. But God does not invite us to re-engage the church because it's a comfortable place with perfect people. There are no perfect people here. God invites us into a spiritual family full of misfits and outcasts. He welcomes us into a church that is rarely what we want yet, but just what we need. And for this reason, anyone who loves the church, anyone who's going to re-engage the church must learn to forgive and forbear with one another. Listen, that is part of the responsibilities that we must carry out as fellow citizens with the saints. This brings us to the second reason to re-engage the church. We're just not fellow citizens in God's kingdom. We are adopted members of God's household. Paul shifts from the picture of a kingdom now to the picture of a family. Look at what he says in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Now here's the shift. And members of the household of God. So note Paul's progression here. It's one thing to be a citizen of the kingdom. But it is quite another to be a child of the king. And that's what we are in Christ. And yet... This is who we are. We are members of God's household and God himself. He is our father in heaven. We are adopted children who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, in Paul's words, according to verse 18, we now have access to the father through our faith in Jesus Christ. The point that Paul's making here is that the church is a family. And this family is made up of adopted brothers and sisters in Christ. That means the church is not a building that we go to. While we gather here in this locale, that's certainly true. Nor is the church an event we attend. Listen, the church is a family with roles and responsibilities to carry out. This one pastor and author writes... Be careful not to treat the church as a hotel, visiting a place occasionally, giving a tip if you are served well. Rather, see the church as part of your Christian identity and understand that we all have a role to play in God's household. So what does it mean now to be a member of God's household? Well, let me offer to you three implications of what it means to be a member. Number one, first of all, we should be present when the church gathers. That's what it means to be a member of God's household, is we are present when the church gathers. Our church gathers corporately here at 1045 a.m. every Sunday for corporate worship. That's when we gather. And if you're going to be part of LifeBridge, Listen, the expectation is you gather when the church gathers. In fact, when it comes to the church, assembly is still required. I know some of you at Christmas time, you buy presents and there's an instruction sheet, assembly required. You're like, I ain't buying that present. Not if I have to assemble it. The church assembly is still required. You can't bypass this. There's not another option. The very word that we translate from the Greek for the word church in the New Testament suggests that we assemble or gather together in person for corporate worship. Now, I am, I'm thankful, I'm glad that we were able to provide a life stream 
in which many of you, if not all of you, could watch from your homes during the shutdown. Man, that was a glorious thing due to modern technology that we could offer. And we're, we still provide the live stream. But understand something. The church was never meant to be viewed online. The church is meant to be present in person. In person. That's why we are exhorted in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider, and notice the let us, it is plural, is let all of us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, today it is quite common to hear someone say, well, I don't need the church to be a Christian. And maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've heard that many times before. Maybe you've said that before. And it's true, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. But I would say this. You cannot be intellectually honest with yourself and say that you love Jesus Christ. That is, you love the head of the church and then disengage from the body, his church, his family, that he died for and that he has called us to be a part of. In fact, my experience as a pastor now of over 20 years is that the more independent, the more isolated a person is in their faith journey, the higher the likelihood that they will stall out spiritually. I've seen it happen. As Dan Ryland, if I can quote him again, stated in a post, you tend to drift spiritually when you are not connected relationally. In other words, when it comes to church, drift always leads to distance, and distance will lead you to disconnection. Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman just wrote a book. It's now, it's now out on Amazon. Their book is called Rediscover Church, and they make this statement in their book. Simply put, a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. It's a Christian in trouble. Tony Evans tweeted over the summer, just this last summer. He says, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. Amen. But you don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected if you never go home. He's right. Christianity was never designed to be a solo deal. We need the church because we need each other in God's household. So let me say it again a little differently. You don't need a church to be a Christian, but the church needs you and you need the church. And it is true, there is no perfect church because there are no perfect Christians. But together, listen, we are called here to help one another become the persons, the saints in Christ that God intended us to be. As members of God's household. We should be present when the church gathers. That's the first thing it means. The second thing it means is we should participate in the life of the church. Listen, the point of weekly worship is not just attendance. It's participation in the body of Christ. Christianity was never designed to be an independent endeavor. God created us to be in relationship with him and one another. He made us on purpose with a purpose. And we live that out best as we participate together in the life of the church. Now, I truly believe our lives, your life, my life, it is truly more enriched when we participate in the life of the church. For none of us are as strong alone as we are together. We'll look at this more a little bit next Sunday, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has gifted you with at least one spiritual gift. And there are several places in the New Testament where God talks about the spiritual gifts that he's given by the Holy Spirit to believers in Christ. In fact, you can go to Romans chapter 12. You can go to Ephesians 4, which we'll be in next Sunday. You can go to 1 Corinthians 12. And all three of these passages paint a great picture of, of how we work together and strengthen each other with our spiritual gifts. Paul writes, and I'll go ahead and just read it to you, 
even though we'll look at it next Sunday. In Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, he says, And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. And then he adds in verse 16, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love listen in other words what paul is saying here the body of christ and the body of christ is made up as we already alluded to of each local bodies each local locations and so all through kansas city there are local bodies of Christ that are gathering right now. We're one of many across Kansas City and across our country and across the world that is gathering. We are the local body here at LifeBridge. And what Paul is saying is that the body of Christ, so like our body here at LifeBridge, it isn't the same when you separate its members. That's the whole point Paul makes, especially in the passage of 1 Corinthians 12, where he talks about the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears. And he makes this analogy with our gifting and our our shape that each one of us is like that. We have a role to play. And he's saying that the hands and feet, the eyes and ears need to be assembled for this body to work for the good of everyone, but most of all for the glory of God. As members of God's household, listen, We should participate in the life of the church. We should be present when the church gathers. And number three, we should protect the unity of the church. Now, we talked about the importance of unity in our series in Philippians, which we just concluded. And so I won't belabor this point except to read what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 and 3, where he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We should protect the unity of our church. And I just want to say thank you to you as LifeBridge. You guys are doing a great job of doing that. So thank you very, very much. Why re-engage the church? Because our identity in Christ, it compels us to do so. We are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. We are adopted members in God's family. And then finally, number three, we are living stones in God's temple. Now again, Paul's shifting the imagery on us. And he once again shifts the images, this time describing the church as a building or a temple. Now a building is not the church though. And so this building we're meeting in, this what we call this auditorium, it is not the church, even though in our vernacular we'll, we'll call it the church and we understand what we're saying here. But more importantly, we need to understand that we, that is the people of God, we are the church. In fact, Paul says we are living stones in God's temple where he manifests his presence in a special way. Paul explains what he means by that in verses 20 through 22 here in Ephesians 2. Look at it with me again. Where he says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, God's temple... Paul is telling us, consists of God's people who have been redeemed by God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the New Testament sometimes refers to individual believers as God's temple, where His Holy Spirit dwells. We know that is true. But Paul here, specifically, is referring to God's people corporately in a given locale. And so when we gather together like we're doing now as LifeBridge, we here, we are the temple of God where he is worshipped and where he dwells in a unique way. Paul says that in this temple that the apostles and prophets are the foundation with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. In other words, God founded his church on the teaching of, 
of the prophets and apostles, and especially their teaching about Jesus Christ, which shouldn't surprise us, since the church stands or falls based on its faithfulness to the Word of God. In fact, you go over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early church. When that began to form, it says that the early church devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching. That's what they devoted themselves to. And specifically, the teaching about Jesus Christ. It's foundational. And now that the foundation has been laid, that's why there's not a need anymore for apostles and prophets. It's why we still have a need for pastors and teachers like we do today. Now, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone? It means that Jesus is the centerpiece of the church, just as the cornerstone is the centerpiece of a building. In other words, Jesus Christ, he makes the building possible. The whole church is built on him, and it's built on Jesus alone. Without Christ, the church cannot be built. Remove Christ from the equation, and the church comes stumbling down. It comes falling down. So two implications out of this for us as living stones in God's temple. Now, just FYI, Paul doesn't actually use the word living here before stones. You say, where do you get living? You have to go over to Peter, where Peter uses the same vernacular. He talks about the same thing, that we are living stones now in Jesus Christ. And so we are not dead. Why? Paul's already told us that in the beginning of verse of chapter 2 here. Yeah, we were. We were once dead, but now we've been made alive. So we're now living stones, which is kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Because who's seen a stone that's walking around and alive? I haven't. But that's what we are in Christ. It's a phenomenal imagery. And the implication is that we, as living stones, we are being joined together into God's holy temple. This is a picture of the Lord who is, he's fitting us together with one another. So that each of us, as living stones, contributes a vital part to God's temple. Now, as individual stones, we are not much value apart from the whole. There's, you go out by the garage here, and there's some, uh, some old rock wall, you know, that you would build a, a wall with, and they're just laying by the side. And you go there and look at it, and you're like, well, that's just kind of worthless. And you're like, why, why do we still keep it? It's worthless. And we all understand that. Individual stones apart from one another are somewhat worthless. They're not much value. But when we are joined together, and God does that, the entire structure now becomes this beautiful, functional place where God is worshipped. Tom Julian, who was a former missionary, he comments, and I quote what he says, the difference between a group of Christians who just get together and a true local church is the same difference between a pile of stones and a building. Indeed, we are more than just a pile of stones. Listen, we are being joined together, Paul says, in Christ Jesus. And because of this spiritual union to Christ and, don't miss this, and the spiritual union with one another, the church, Paul says, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, that is a key statement there that Paul is making about the role of the church in the very plan of God. Because you might remember that in the Old Testament, the temple used to be the place where God's presence dwelt. And you had to go to the temple if you wanted to meet with God. But now the temple has been replaced by the church. But to fulfill this role, Paul says we must be growing in holiness. Whoa, that's convicting. Now, understand something, that in Jesus Christ, you are holy before God, in your standing before God, in your position before God. But Paul is alluding to something here, that we now must also be holy in our practice, in our living. In this holiness is a process as we 
in Paul's words here, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the second implication. We're not just being joined together. We are being built together into God's dwelling place. Now, that is an amazing truth. God is building us together into his dwelling place in the spirit. In the Old Testament, the temple was the special place where God met with his people and where God revealed himself to his people. But now God dwells, listen to me, not in a physical building. Where does God dwell now today? In our hearts. He dwells in the hearts of his people gathered together. This means that when we gather as a church, we should come with the expectation to meet with God. We want to sense His presence in our midst. And so we pray, and that's why we have a congregational prayer. That's why Chris prayed what he did this morning. It's why we have different people pray each Sunday in the beginning of our worship service. So we pray, and we want to prepare our hearts before God as we gather together with his saints. And we, even individually, as we come to church, before we even enter this auditorium, we should pray something in the the car coming. Lord, I want to meet with you this morning. Prepare me, prepare my heart to hear from you as your word is proclaimed. This truth also reminds us again that no church is perfect. The church is still in process of becoming. So excuse our mess. Life bridge is under construction. The present tense here indicates that the church is being built together right now. Right now, we are still being built together. And the passive voice indicates that the church is not building itself. Rather, Jesus Christ is the one who is building the church. Oh, the church of Jesus Christ. It is glorious, it is beautiful, it is wonderful. Listen, there really is nothing quite like the church of Jesus Christ. The church is worth more than just our casual consideration. The church is worth more than just our occasional participation. The church is worth re-engaging. Why re-engage the church? Because our identity in Christ is... It compels us to re-engage the church because to be in Christ is to be in his body. It's to be with the body as fellow citizens of God's kingdom, as adopted members of God's household, and as living stones in God's temple. Now, for the rest of our time, for the next five or six minutes, I just want to take you through six ways, six practical ways in which you can begin to re-engage at LifeBridge or perhaps to engage for the very first time here at LifeBridge. So if you have this handout, and I hope you grabbed it on your way in, this handout right here looks like this. We're going to take a few minutes, and I want to walk you through this a little bit. Six ways to re-engage at LifeBridge. Number one is simply to gather in corporate worship, like you are right now. Gather in corporate worship, 1045 a.m. each Sunday. And uh, just want to put out there, that we have a baptism scheduled the last Sunday of August here, August the 29th. And so uh, if you're one who has become a believer in Jesus Christ recently, or perhaps many years ago, but you have yet to be baptized, man, let us know. Reach out to myself, email us, and let us know that you're interested in being baptized, and we'll talk to you more about that. Uh, Or you can just fill out the connection card as well. So gather in corporate worship. That is the first way to re-engage here at LifeBridge. Number two is to attend a Discovery Hour class. And we want to encourage each and every one of you to do so as we get ready to relaunch our Discovery Hour on Sunday, September the 19th. Our Discovery Hour starts at 9.30. It goes for an hour till 10.30. We have a 15-minute break in which we then start our worship service at 10.45. And uh, one of the reasons we have a Discovery Hour is we want to bridge the gap between learning and life. We want to connect those things. And so we want to discover, we want to dive into God's word and discover the truth of God's word and how it applies to our lives out in the world. 
And so we have classes of all ages and stages of life. And you see those. I won't go through each of those classes there. You can read them. You can see where they're located in our church. If you have questions about that, please don't hesitate to call us. Number three, the third way to re-engage at LifeBridge is to serve on a ministry team. Now, this one is super important. They're all important, but this one especially. And the first opportunity that we have to serve And it's a low-level service commitment. It's to serve in our outreach, our community block party. It takes one hour or two hours of your time to serve in this capacity. And there's sign-ups on the back table. We still need people to serve as greeters for this event to uh, help Angela Ranfall be a parking attendant as cars come and traffic in our parking lot. Uh, I desperately need people to sign up to be in the dunk tank. And again, I'm about ready to take names here in our service. All right? Listen, it'll be beautiful weather. It'll be fun. So who's willing to be in the dunk tank? Sign your name up. I need somebody to help Bill Bowman uh, grill hot dogs. Uh, I need somebody to help, uh, you know, monitor. We have giant inflatables that will be all out throughout the, the outside here. But I need help. We have a giant obstacle course inflatable that will be out front. And it takes four people to man that and kind of help the kids with that. So I need people to help with that. I also need people just to come early, before 3 o'clock, to come about 2 o'clock and to help set everything up. And, uh, and so if you'd be willing to help in these areas, please, at the end of the service, go and sign up and serve. This is a low-key serving opportunity for you. And then uh, we have our Discovery Hour equipping. And so if you're serving... Uh, currently in our discovery hour, and that is pre-COVID currently, um, it's been 18 months since we've had discovery hour, we kind of want to regroup with our discovery hour volunteers. And so if you served prior to pre-COVID in our discovery hour, either you, you led the class, you taught the class, or maybe you were in there and you assisted with the kids or the youth, uh, come and be a part of this equipping. We're going to take some time and just do some training and equipping and some praying as we get ready to launch our Discovery Hour ministry. And so, and maybe you haven't served in Discovery Hour, but you're interested, whether it's with kids, with uh, youth, or or some other capacity. uh, You know, come be a part of this. You're welcome to. You can register online. I hope you'll take advantage of that. And then you'll see several different ministry opportunities that we have here in our church And most of these, many of these, are geared during our discovery hour and our worship service. Uh, And so one is our nursery. Uh, Ladies, guys, you do a great job to serve in our nursery. But my wife, who is over it, thank you, Darla, very much. She does a great job. She is always on the lookout for those who want to serve in our nursery on a rotation basis during our discovery hour. Uh, I mean, on a rotation basis during the worship service. And normally we like to have enough volunteers where you only have to serve in the nursery one Sunday a month uh, during the worship service. During our discovery hour, my wife works in there full time along with Sally Dixon, who, used, who is stepping down. Sally Dixon, Lord bless her. I was hoping she would be here today because we were going to honor her. And uh, she worked with my wife for over 20 years each Sunday during our discovery hour serving in the nursery. And due to age and some health issues, she's stepping down. And I'm so thankful for Shelly Riddow. Thank you, Shelly. She is stepping up, and she has volunteered to step in Sally's place and begin serving with my wife during discovery hour. That's what we need. We need more people who are willing to step up and serve in all these different capacities. And most of them are on a rotation basis. So, so like even in kids' ministry, If you don't want to serve full-time each and every Sunday, that's okay. Come and serve on a rotation basis, whether it's in in our preschool, whether it's helping Bill and and Cindy with our elementary-age kids, whether it's helping Zach and Sarah with our live student ministry, or even in our our adult classes. We need people uh, in in our hospitality ministry. We We need some volunteers who are willing to come early before discovery hour down in our kitchen and make coffee. Because, you know, we can't survive with coffee before discovery hour, right? And during discovery hour. So we need, we need volunteers who are willing to come early and, and make coffee for our, all our adult classes. Uh, our first impressions ministry. And we, I, I, we need to regroup with our greeters. 
and, and have greeters out here for our worship service. And so if you're willing to serve as a greeter in our First Impressions ministry, we're going to be having a meeting on the Sunday before we launch on Sunday, September the 12th at 9.30 a.m. down in the multipurpose room. I'd love for you to come and be a part of it. Uh, fill out the connection card and let me know if you're interested in that. I'll recruit you as well. And then, of course, our grow groups are getting ready to start. One way is, is you know, use volunteer your house to host a grow group. Uh, media booth. Uh, my brother Todd is back there right now with Jeremy, and they could always use some more help to serve on the audio-visual team during our worship service. There's lawn care. I'm so thankful for, for uh, Brian. Give Brian a big shout-out. Uh, he does a wonderful job. Um, taking care of our yard and keeping it mowed, and he's been doing that now for well over three, four years, I don't even know how long. And George Dobbins helps as well, and then Zach Hill helps, he's been helping when his schedule allows, and, but they could always use some more help in the lawn mowing and taking care of our yard. If that's something you're interested in, fill out the connection card or talk to me in person. And then, of course, our praise team. Use your instrumental or vocal abilities in our worship service. And, uh, and yes, it does require some reasonable level of proficiency uh, because you might think you have the gift of singing or the gift of playing, but we may not have the gift of listening. <laughs> and so, you know, we don't want to be prudes about it, and yet we want a level of proficiency as we lead our congregation, you all, in worship. So these are just some uh, ministry opportunities that we have as a church. And then number four, participate in a grow group. As we already mentioned, they're getting ready to resume on September the 12th. Sign up on the back. Uh, number five is give to support the church. That's another way to engage. There's two ways of giving, either in person or online. And then last, number six, is to commit to the church in membership, if you have yet to do that. We're getting ready to have our, uh, a new membership class that will start on the same Sunday we're launching our Discovery Hour. That is September the 26th. It'll take place during Discovery Hour It'll be four consecutive Sundays right in our conference room uh, on the main level here. Go to our website, and you can register to be part of our new members class. So these are six ways, six practical ways to re-engage with LifeBridge. And listen, our identity in Christ, your identity in Christ, it ought to compel us to do so. To be in Christ is to be in the church, is to be in his body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your saving grace that is provided in Jesus Christ. Father, to thank that we were dead in our sins. We were without hope because we were without Christ. And then you intervened. You opened up our eyes to see our need for Jesus. And you made us alive in Christ. And Lord, you put us into the church And we're so thankful for that. And so let us now see our identity in Christ, that it would compel us and motivate us to be engaged with your body. Perhaps for the first time or to re-engage now after months being away or whatever the case might be. So Lord, do a work that only you can do in your church. We're thankful for it. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out our service by just lifting our voices to the Lord in song. So why don't you stand together and let's sing.